As everyone finds their way back to their seats, I'd like to welcome you all to our worship time at First Church of New Knoxville. For those of you listening on Facebook Live and the radio, I welcome you. I'd like to extend an invitation to anybody who's listening on the radio that doesn't have a home church, maybe one of these Sundays, if you are up for it, we'd love to have you by. Uh, would everyone please rise as I uh, go through the call to do the call to worship our call to worship this morning is from the book of Daniel chapter two, verses 20 through 22. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness, and light dwells with him. We will begin our worship time this morning with the desert song. Your lyrics are in your bulletin.
bow your head with me for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and just give you thanks for this day that we can gather together as one body, Lord, and worship you. For I am so thankful for this community that you have placed us in and the group of believers that you have surrounded us with. And Lord, we are reminded especially this time of the year of the upcoming Easter season. Help each one of us to prepare our hearts and prepare our minds for what Easter truly means. Help us to be mindful of why the cross had to take place, why Jesus had to suffer and die, 
and why he had to shed his blood. Lord, we are mindful that it was for our sins. We are broken, Lord. We know that the sin in our lives and the sin in this world are far more than we can handle on our own. We needed a savior. We needed the ultimate sacrifice to defeat sin for good. Please make it clear to each one of us the sin in our lives. Through our thoughts, through our actions, Lord, the sin of disobeying you and not acting when we know we should. And help us to realize the impact that this sin has on those around us. Again, Lord, help us to remember why Jesus had to go to the cross. And I just ask that the blood may cover us of our past, of our present, and of our future sins as we confess them to you at this time. Thank you, Lord, that this sin has been defeated. And I know, Lord, that if we just lay down our lives and accept you as the Lord and Savior of our life, if we turn from this world, Lord, and confess these sins to you, that you will forgive them. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his blood, which covers us. Lord, we're mindful at this time as well of those in our church family and the surrounding community that suffer today, whether it be loss of a loved one, physical, mental illness, or financial, Lord, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And even in times when it might feel like you are distance, help us, Lord, to hear your voice and to know that you are right there with us. Help us not to lean on our own understanding during these difficult times, but to find refuge in you. I pray for Tori at this time as well, Lord, and we ask that you would just bless her as she teaches us what you have put on her heart. We're thankful for all that she does for the youth of this church and the impact that she has on their lives. Help her to stay focused on your truth. I pray that the Holy Spirit may just continue to work in and through her. May your message speak to all of us who hear it today. And I ask that you would please help us to remove any distractions that we bring with us this morning. Help us to lay them aside and help us to focus solely on you for the remainder of this service. Lord, we ask all these things in your son Jesus Christ's name and pray as he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is your kingdom, power, and glory forever. Amen. All right, kids, come on down for children's chat. Who's in there? Who's out there? Come on running. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, my word. Don't worry, I'm on my way. Hey. All right. couple ground rules. Boys, say nothing. All right. All right. How are we doing today? Oh, my goodness. Was it cold this morning? Wow, we made it. Who, anybody go sledding yesterday? Play out in the snow? Yeah. That's good. That's good. Good, good, good. All right. All right. We're all here. I think we made it. 
All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Today is a kind of a cool story, I think. Um, but I brought something with me, and uh, I want to ask you: Do you guys think I like to do puzzles? You guys do puzzles? I do. You like to do puzzles? I bet you do. Well, I brought a puzzle with me today, and look, look at all these pieces. Oh my goodness, look at all those pieces. It's a thousand-piece puzzle. And if you look at them, look at that piece. Is there a lot of bright colors or unique, neat-looking stuff on that piece? How about this piece? Oh, no. How about this piece? Oh, no. How about this piece? They, like, all look the same. This is terrible. Today, we're going to hear a story from the Bible about Daniel and a really cool, really cool Kind of weird, mean old king. Like Daniel in the lion's den? Like Daniel in the lion's den. Like Nebuchadnezzar, all right? What would make this easier? How can I figure out where all these pieces go? How do you like to do puzzles? What do you do? Find the outside, do the outline? Yeah, so you're looking for all the straight edges. How many folks do that? You find the straight edges, and you get this rectangle, and then you fill in the middle. That's good. Good strategy. Good plan. Okay. Um, what else? How else do you, are you good at? Yeah, yeah, Emma. Ask your brother for help. Good idea. Good thinking. Good thinking. Good. I like it. Benjamin? I was, I was sorting by shades of color. Kind of sorting by shades of color. Yeah. So like there's this gray and then there's this other gray and then there's this gray and mostly white. And you could do a little bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. What else makes it easier to do a big old puzzle like that? Just connect it. Well, here you go. We'll see you at the end of service. What else makes it easier? What do you think? Get all the sides and fill in the middle. Exactly. That's right. That's good. Yep. All right. Does anybody like to use a picture of what the puzzle is supposed to look like? Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Well, here's this. Here's the picture of this puzzle. What is that picture going to be? That's, when, that's a big old picture of the moon. But guess what? You know what makes it extra hard? The circle is the shape of the puzzle. There are no straight sides on this entire puzzle. Can you believe it? It's awful. We worked for hours hours during shutdown when we could not go anywhere we worked for hours on this we never even got the perimeter we couldn't even get the circle done it was just abysmal we saved the pieces these are supposed to be edge pieces and we didn't even find them all we couldn't even do it okay so puzzles are hard but seeing a picture makes it easier right does this help make it easier because then you can kind of find it oh yeah okay maybe i can maybe oh there's this dark gray spot maybe i can find some dark gray pieces and figure that out okay well what does that have to do with today's bible story well, I'll tell you. Today's Bible story is all about a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. And guess what he wanted? Guess what King Nebuchadnezzar wanted his wise men, all these smart people around him to do? Guess what he wanted him to do? It wasn't a puzzle. In, instead, he wanted them to tell me what it meant. So Nebuchadnezzar goes to all of his wise men. They're all the smart people, the science people, the medicine people, the whatever people. And he says, tell me what this dream means. And you know what the wise men ask for? What, what's the dream about? Like, tell us what the dream actually was. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, nope, you got to tell me what this dream means, and I'm not even going to tell you what it happened. I'm not going to tell you about the dream at all. It'd be like all these puzzle pieces and no picture. Wouldn't that be pretty rough? That'd be pretty rough. So Nebuchadnezzar keeps asking, and the wise men, his wise men, that don't believe in God, by the way, his wise men say, it's impossible. We can't do it. You got to tell us what the dream was before, you know, we can tell you what the dream means. And so Nebuchadnezzar gets mad, big mad. 
He actually says, all right, fine. I'm going to send my soldiers out and we're going to kill all the wise men because they're not good for anything. They can't tell me what my dream means. Can you believe that? So what do you think Daniel does? So Daniel, yeah. Does Daniel believe in God? Yeah. It's a good story. Oh, yeah, it's a great story. He goes to the lion den later, right? So Daniel asks, like, hey, I'm, I'm on the line here. They're going to, I mean, there's soldiers at his door ready to kill him. And he's like, wait, what, what's going on here? And the soldiers tell him, yeah, no one could tell, no one could tell the king what the dream meant, so you're up. And Daniel says, you know, how about you just, like, give me overnight to think about it? All right, I'll pray. And so Daniel prays to God, and don't you know it? God comes to Daniel overnight, tells him what the dream means. So Daniel can go back to the king and say, hey, you know that dream that you wouldn't tell anybody about? This is exactly what it means. And he goes right through it, and uh, the king doesn't kill him. Isn't that a crazy story? It's like he walked in and just put all these pieces together without even looking at the picture, right? Can you imagine just sitting down at a table and just going all thousand pieces and you're done? Amazing. Um, that seems pretty amazing, doesn't it? A robot would be perfect. We're, we're close. We have the technology. You're right. So really neat stuff. So listen to today's Bible story. It's going to be just like that. I promise. All right. This is a preview. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and fold our hands and pray then. Right. All right. Dear me, Father, thank you for bringing these kids together this morning. Um, just continue to uh, pour your spirit into them, Lord, as they grow in wisdom and in stature with you. Put, a, uh, put on armor and put just a hand of protection upon them as well as they go from this place um, and travel through this world. Um, may we all just be their guardians and their caretakers and help them, instruct them as they grow and you know, go down your way. In your sons, let me pray. Amen. All right. Well, I think we can just go home after that. I mean, you pretty much summed up the sermon, so <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you so much. As the choir is coming forward this morning, um, I want to let you know that our offering is going towards the Sanctuary Painting Fund today, uh, and the choir will be blessing us with a song called Lord of Peace. Let's pray as they're coming forward. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these gifts. We thank you for the chance to thanks to you, Every, all of our money, our time, Everything that we have, Lord, it is all for you and to be used for your glory. So we ask that you would use the, these gifts for your, glo- for your glory, Lord. We love you and we thank you so much. Amen.
please remain standing for the scripture reading this morning. The reading this morning comes from Daniel 2, verses 1 through 7, and verses 11 through 20, page 882 in your pew Bibles. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Picking up at verse 11, what the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time, so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time together. We thank you that we can come and that we can worship you, Lord, and to hear from your word. Father, I pray that you would lead and guide us by your Holy Spirit this morning. pray that you would teach us, that you would help us to understand what true wisdom and understanding look like. God, you are the source of all wisdom and all understanding. So I pray that your spirit would work in and through this place this morning and in and through our hearts. Father, I pray that you would speak through me and that you would be big and I would be little. We thank you for this time and we love you. Amen. So a few months ago, we started a new series on the book of Daniel. Now, Daniel, if you remember, takes place during Israel's 70-year exile in Babylon. So Israel, God's chosen people, refused to obey God and his word. And they continually refused to obey him. And so God punished them. He allowed them to, uh, he allowed the Babylonians to come into their land and to destroy their homes, destroy the temple, and he allowed his people to be captured and brought into the kingdom of Babylon to live as exiles. And at that time, Babylon was considered to be the epicenter of ungodliness and moral corruption. You did not want 
to be in Babylon if you were a believer in the Lord. And so God forced his people to live there for 70 years, but he gave them very specific instructions on how he wanted them to live. And God told his people, you might as well settle in because it's going to be a while, right? 70 years, it's a long time. And he told them that they needed to put down roots, that they needed to get married, that they needed to have children and work and live in Babylon. But they were not under any circumstances to become like Babylon. They weren't allowed to partake in the ungodliness of Babylon by worshiping their gods or participating in their sinful customs. And so God called his people to intentionally separate themselves from the sinfulness of Babylon by living in total and complete obedience to God in this foreign land. Now, the physical kingdom of Babylon fell a long time ago, right? But its sinfulness and its influence on the world remained. Believers in the New Testament use Babylon as a way to refer to the Roman Empire and all the revelation to describe the satanic world system that blends spiritual idolatry and world power together to persecute believers of Jesus Christ. And now we are living in that Babylon, that system of Babylon right now. And it's really not hard to see. It doesn't take a whole lot of looking to see that the sinfulness that originated back in Babylon is still in our world today. There's moral corruption all around us, right? And it's in plain sight and it's celebrated and even encouraged by the masses. We're living in a post-Christian world where a lot of people have rejected any and all belief in the one true God and have turned to worshiping different idols and different forms of pagan religions. And the world systems that are in place are corrupt, right? It doesn't take a whole lot to see that either. And it's run by equally corrupt people. And the opposition to Christ and the persecution of Christ's followers is steadily increasing all around the world. And it's getting harder and harder to be a believer and to stand for Christ and stand firm in him in this world. And all of this is only going to get worse. And it's only going to get harder until Christ returns. So what do we do? How do we live in this world as believers? Well, thankfully, God's word and his commands have not changed. And believers in Jesus Christ are essentially exiles living in Babylon, just like Daniel. And we're commanded to live in the same way that God commanded Israel to live in Babylon. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So all born-again believers are exiles. This world is not your home, and as a believer, you are not supposed to act, think, or be like the sinful world around you. You're not supposed to fit in here because this world is not our home, and you're not supposed to feel like you belong here either. Our true home is with Christ, and it's, within, it's in his kingdom, but he's put us here for a reason. And so we've got to learn to live. We've got to learn to live as believers in exile and not to be conformed by the world and its sinfulness. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of feel more and more like an exile each day. I find myself feeling like I don't fully fit into this world anymore, especially as I grow in my relationship with Christ. I find myself longing for that eternal home and asking Christ like, hey, 
you want to speed up your timeline a little bit? Like, could you come back sooner rather than later? And I don't know, maybe you feel this way too. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But Jesus hasn't called me home yet. He hasn't called you home yet. And Jesus certainly hasn't come back yet. So we've got to live. We've got to live as exiles, and we've got to learn how to separate ourselves from the ungodliness of this world. Revelation 18.4 says, Come out of Babylon, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues. God is telling us to intentionally separate ourselves from that Babylon system, right? He's looking for believers that are going to align themselves with him and with his kingdom and his values and live for him in this world. But the separation that God is calling us to is really hard. There are going to be good and even great things that the Lord asks you to give up as you follow him out of Babylon. The people closest to you might not even understand you anymore. You might be persecuted by the people you love most in this life. You might even lose relationships because you follow Jesus and you live according to how he has called you to. And here's the truth. Many believers will not answer this call to separate because it's too difficult and it costs too much. But for those of you that are listening this morning, that are feeling that pull of, I don't belong here, I want to align myself more with Christ, I want to come out of this Babylon world, then Daniel is our guide. The four faithful men in Daniel teach us what it looks like to separate from Babylon. So like we talked about last time, Daniel chapter 1 taught us that separating ourselves will require a personal commitment to obeying God. Daniel and his friends chose obedience to God and his word by refusing to eat the food at the king's table. And God rewarded these four men because of their obedience. He gave them wisdom and knowledge and understanding, and he gave Daniel the ability to interpret visions and dreams. That personal commitment is what it takes to start that separation process. That is the first step in separating yourself out of Babylon. Every single one of us has to choose to obey God above all else and refuse to compromise on his truth and his standards, no matter how good the food at the table looks. But today, Daniel chapter 2 is going to challenge us to examine the sources of wisdom we turn to in our lives. Daniel and his friends will show us how to separate ourselves from the wisdom of this Babylon, Babylonian world and radically rely on God for all wisdom and understanding, especially when problems arise in our life. So in Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar is having these strange dreams. And these dreams are troubling his spirit and they're causing him to lose sleep. And the king knows that these dreams are not normal, but he can't understand the meaning behind them. And so in an effort to figure out these dreams and the meaning, he calls in magicians and astrologers and sorcerers and the Chaldeans. And consulting people like these, like magicians or sorcerers, for wisdom concerning the kingdom was standard practice for kings at that time. And the magicians and the sorcerers and the astrologers, they were considered some of the wisest people in the kingdom because they had access to a mysterious knowledge that others didn't. So King Nebuchadnezzar calls in these wise guys and he challenges their so-called wisdom in a way that they've never experienced before. He tells them that he is not going to tell in the dream and he wants them to give them, give him the dream, the contents of the dream and the interpretation of that dream. 
And if they were able to produce these things, then they would be greatly rewarded. If not, they'd be killed. Now, this might seem pretty extreme to us. It might seem that, you know, maybe King Nebuchadnezzar was losing a whole lot of sleep and he was really grumpy. But these guys should have been able to do exactly what the king had asked. These magicians and astrologers and sorcerers were hand-selected by the king because they were really good at their job. And they made their living on their supposed ability to contact the gods and gain the secret information that wasn't available to normal people at that time from the spirit realm. And so they, had, they even had books on dreams and other resources to use to help the king. But all of that, all of their wisdom, all of the books and the resources that they had, it was all contingent on knowing the content of the dream first. And so these men knew immediately that they could not do what the king asked. And they told him what he was asking was impossible for them. They said in verses 10 and 11, No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician any or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. So these so-called wisest men in the land had to admit defeat. They told the king that the only way to understand the dream and its meaning is if the, the gods of Babylon broke through to the human world and revealed the dream to the king himself. And the Babylonian gods couldn't do this because they were powerless, powerless idols and their wisdom was worthless. It could not solve the king's problem. And so the king had no idea at the time that this dream was going to use this dream to expose the wise men and their lack of wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.19 says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the understanding of the experts. These men could not do what the king asked. They knew it. But they unknowingly set the stage for God to use Daniel and his friends to help the king. God was going to use Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah to show the king where true wisdom and understanding comes from by giving the dream and its interpretation to Daniel. So Daniel and his three, men's, three, three friends were part of these wise, the wise men of Babylon, but they were not part of the group that was called before the king for whatever reason. So they really had no idea what was going on until Arioch was standing at their door with orders to kill them. Talk about like a rude awakening, right? And so Daniel, hearing everything that happened, jumped into action. And he asked to be brought before the king. And he courageously asked the grumpy king for time to seek his God, the one true God, for the dream and its interpretation. And the king somehow agreed, even though he had told the other guys that that time was running out, that he was ordering, sending orders to kill everyone, and he wasn't going to give any more time. Talk about pressure, right? Can you imagine being in Daniel's shoes? And the lives of all of these wise men were on the line, including Daniel and Hananiah and Michelle and Azariah. And so if God didn't show up, if he didn't reveal the dream and its interpretation to Daniel, then they were goners. They were completely goners. But Daniel knew something that the wise men didn't. He knew that God is the source of all wisdom and understanding. He also knew that the God of Israel, the one true God, does dwell among his people. In fact, that's his favorite place to be. And he knew that God had all power. 
all authority, all wisdom, all understanding, and they believed in that power. They knew that God could do exactly what they were asking. And so Daniel returned to his house, and he explained the matter to his friends. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And during the night, the mystery was revealed. So instead of going to books or people or gurus or whatever forms of worldly wisdom, Daniel grabbed his friends and they got on their knees and went straight to God in prayer. And God showed up at the right time, right on time. And he revealed the dream and its interpretation to Daniel in a vision at night. And so God, or so Daniel praised God before he went to the king to reveal the dream. And in that dream, God gave King Nebuchadnezzar, it was about a huge statue. And the statue represented the kingdoms of this world and the order that they would all fall in. Now, Babylon was the head of gold on the statue. The Medo Persian kingdom was the chest and the arms that were made out of silver. The Grecian kingdom was represented by the belly and thighs made from bronze. And Rome was represented by the legs and the feet made from iron and fired clay. The last kingdom would be a kingdom of mixture, and the people would never fully come together. That was what the iron and the clay represented. And this dream was a warning to the king that his kingdom was going to come to an end, that all the kingdoms in the world would come to an end. And so at the end of the dream, the king saw a stone that destroyed the entire statue. And this stone is is symbolic of the eternal kingdom of God that would one day destroy every man-made kingdom that was rooted in the sinfulness of Babylon, and that God's kingdom would reign forever one day. Now, that was a really quick rundown of the dream, and I encourage you guys to go and read that dream um, in the back half of Daniel 2 on your own because we don't actually have time to get into it today. But I promise we will come back to it when we get to Daniel chapter 7 because the king's dream and Daniel's dream parallel each other. And so it makes more sense to talk about it then than this morning. So what I want to focus our, on our, our attention on this morning is wisdom. I believe that wisdom and the sources of wisdom that we rely on in our lives is a theme that runs all throughout Daniel 2. Daniel and his friends were given the gift of knowledge and wisdom and understanding as they served God in the king's court. And the most basic definition of wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge and understanding in the right way at the right time to make the right decision. I once heard someone say that knowledge is knowing the stoplight is red. Understanding is knowing the meaning why, meaning behind why the right, red light means stop. And wisdom is applying the brakes. So you can be really smart and have a whole lot of understanding on certain things and information, but you can still be unwise, right? Because it's not about all the knowledge and understanding. It's about applying that. So wisdom is knowing how to use that knowledge and that understanding in the right way at the right time and to make the right decision. And scripture tells us that there are two sources of wisdom for us to choose from. We can choose from the the wisdom of this world or we can choose from godly wisdom. James 3.13 talks about this. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by the deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. 
But if you harbor bitter envy or selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And we see in Daniel chapter 2, we see both forms of wisdom, the worldly wisdom and the godly wisdom. So we're going to start with the worldly wisdom first. Worldly wisdom is earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. This kind of wisdom is centered on the here and now of this life. There's no future or eternal focus to worldly wisdom. It's unspiritual, meaning it's self-centered and self-focused, and it's completely devoid of the Lord, his word, and his truth. And worldly wisdom is also demonic. Satan uses this kind of wisdom to trick and to deceive and to pull believers away from the Lord. Now, I believe that many believers in the church, especially in the church in America, have become like King Nebuchadnezzar. We've been seeking and believing the wisdom of this world around us, and it's led us away from the Lord and his truth. See, King Nebuchadnezzar sought the wisdom of this world. He turned to his gurus and his wise guys, and he was hoping that they would do exactly what he asked so that he could go back to sleeping well and getting eight hours every night. And his gurus could not produce the solution to this problem. It only produced an unholy anger in him and made the situation so much worse for everyone else. And worldly wisdom is like that. It does not give us the understanding or the direction that we're truly seeking. It's empty. It's meaningless. And worldly wisdom will tell you things like, live your truth, follow your heart, be your true and authentic self, or just do what feels right for you. And there are so many believers that believe these wise words. And many of these wise words and phrases can even be found in Christian self-help books. And there are many churches in America that are teaching these things in their Sunday morning service. There's no wisdom in those things. Follow your heart. That goes directly against scripture. Live your truth. That goes directly against scripture. Jesus says he is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. If you're following your own truth, you're not following his truth. I can promise you that. And so there are so many believers believing in this feel-good wisdom. And it's not going to lead you to Christ. But there's also many believers that are seeking out the same forms of wisdom that King Nebuchadnezzar used in Babylon. There are believers that are seeking wisdom and understanding from things like witchcraft, from, like, from psychics, healing crystals, mediums, and other forms of the occult. And I know that you might be sitting here this morning thinking, that is not where I was expecting her to go. Well, we're going there. <laughs> but I know you might think this stuff is a whole lot of baloney, right? But people believe in that stuff. The New Age spiritualism is on the rise, and it's on the rise among believers. Not unbelievers, believers in Jesus Christ are using these things to, because people want answers. People want to know what is going on in this crazy world and how to respond, right? And so people are turning to things like the occult and witchcraft and all of those things for answers. But there is no wisdom in those things. And in fact, God has very harsh words towards this kind of worldly wisdom in his word. Deuteronomy 18 verses 9 through 12 says, When you enter, enter into the, Lord, the land the Lord your God is giving you, 
do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts out spells, or who is a medium or spiritist who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is an abomination to the Lord. Because of these same detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. So if you are a believer and you are engaging in any of these practices, stop. Immediately stop what you're doing, get with Jesus, and repent. Do not continue to use or seek those forms of wisdom because occult practices like the ones listed in this passage are an abomination to the Lord. That's a very strong word, and it means that God hates them. Literally means he has so much hate towards those things because he knows the consequences. And he says God's people, his people, are not to participate in those things because they have power. They're used by our very real enemy to gain access into the lives of believers. They're not harmless, and they have consequences. And the wisdom that you'll find in those practices are purely demonic and evil. Church, I don't want you to be foolish. I don't want you to be led astray by the feel-good worldly wisdom or the demonic wisdom of this world. All of those things sound great. All of them seem harmless and that they sound true even sometimes. But none of them are biblical. None of them have even a shred of godly wisdom or godly truth in them. So when you're facing a problem, where are you turning? When you have a situation in your life, where are you going for wisdom? Do you run to Google, to self-help books or gurus? Or are you seeking, are you seeking the wisdom of this world like King Nebuchadnezzar? Or do you turn to God and do you seek his wisdom and his understanding regarding whatever it is you're facing? We've got to stop living like King Nebuchadnezzar and start living like Daniel. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Daniel and his friends knew what the king didn't. They knew that God is the source of all wisdom and understanding. They knew that true godly wisdom can only be found in relationship with the one true God. And so Daniel and his friends, they sought the godly wisdom that James 3 talked about. The godly wisdom that is pure, that is peace-loving, that's considerate, that's rooted in relationship with the one true God. They knew God. They knew his word and his promises. And they boldly relied on him and him alone to seek the answers they needed. And by turning to the one true God... Therefore, the dream and its interpretation, they separated themselves even more from Babylon and its sinful ways of doing things. And we're called to do the exact same thing. And it's really not as hard as we make it out to be either. You know, when the students and I are studying scripture together at youth group or Bible study, I'll ask some simple questions just to kind of get the ball rolling, you know. And the questions always have a very easy answer. Usually, students, if you're listening, the answer is always Jesus, right? It's always Jesus. And so, but the first thing they do when I ask these questions is you can just see their minds going and they start overcomplicating it. They're like, I know that the answer is Jesus. I know that it's Jesus, but it's got to be something different, right? Because why would she ask the question? And so I usually let them just sit there and spin out for a little bit. And then I followed up with, 
hey, don't overcomplicate this. Don't overthink this one. It really is just that easy. And all of a sudden, like, the answer just becomes clear. You know, I think we tend to overcomplicate things like wisdom, too. I know I did. Wisdom is not something that's unattainable or theoretical or ethereal, right? And, you know, sometimes we read scripture and we hear the word wisdom or understanding or knowledge or things like that, and we think that it's something unattainable. But wisdom is practical. God's wisdom is meant to be used every single day and affect every part of our life. We're supposed to take the truth of God's word found in, found in his word and use it. Use the things that he reveals to us, whether in the word or by his spirit, and put them to use in our daily life. That's wisdom. It's not complicated. Daniel, when he needed wisdom and guidance, he didn't overcomplicate. He didn't go start spinning out and thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? He went to God. It's simple, right? And he sought the Lord and he asked for wisdom. And James 1 says that we can do the same thing. James 1, verses 5 through 6 says, Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously without criticizing, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. You know, this passage in James can be summed up with three words. Just ask God. So do you need wisdom? Ask God. If you're facing a problem and need guidance, ask God for understanding and wisdom. Are you struggling in your relationships or in your marriage or is your marriage falling apart? Ask God. He is ready and willing to help you because he is the source of all wisdom and understanding. He will guide you. It is who he is. And he will guide you into deeper relationship with him as you ask for this wisdom. All you have to do is ask him in faith and trust that he will provide the wisdom, the understanding, and everything that you need to handle whatever it is you're facing. Just ask God. Wisdom is a gift that God loves to give to his people when we're in relationship with him. He is a good and loving father that loves to give his children wisdom every single day. And he doesn't only just give us this wisdom, he shows us how to use it as well. I love the promises and Proverbs regarding wisdom that God gives us. He says to us, I'm teaching you the way of wisdom. I am guiding you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction and do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. So God comes to us and he says, hey, I'll give you this. I'll give you this. And not only will I give you this, I'm going to teach you how to walk in it. We don't have to go to any other source but God himself. And that's what Daniel and his friends did. They didn't go to any other form of wisdom. They went straight to God because they had that direct connection to him through prayer. And we do too. You know, as we hold on to God's word and his truth, God's going to teach us how to use it. He's going to make sure that as we walk with him, that his wisdom guides our step. God gives us wisdom and revelation. And he's going to help us to use those things. And he knows that there's going to be challenges. He knows that there's going to be setbacks and struggles. But he doesn't leave us alone to figure that out. He never left Daniel alone. And he's definitely not going to leave us either. Because the same God that did the impossible by revealing that dream and its interpretation is the same God that gives us his spirit. The spirit of wisdom and revelation to face anything that we need in this world.
So Daniel and his friends chose not to go to the world and its wisdom as they dealt with the king. They knew God. They knew his word. They came together in prayer to seek the God of all wisdom and understanding. They did not need or want to turn to the wisdom of this world because they knew it would get them nowhere. We don't need to either. We don't need to seek any other source. We don't need to seek anybody else but God. But we've got to choose all the time to seek him out for his wisdom and his understanding. We have that choice today. So my question to you as we wrap up this morning is, will you choose the wisdom of this world or will you choose God and seek his wisdom above all else? Daniel chapter 2 teaches us to separate ourselves from Babylon even more. We've got the obedience. Now we've got to start relying on God for every single thing, including wisdom and understanding. So will you separate yourself from Babylon by radically relying on the God of all wisdom in your own personal life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are a knowable God, that you are personal, Lord, that you promise to walk with us in everything that we're facing. And not only do you promise to walk with us, Lord, you promise to give us wisdom and understanding on how to navigate the situations that we face in this life, Lord. It is hard to be a believer in this world today, Lord. It is hard to continually stand firm in you and on your truth, Lord. But Lord, you promise that as we do that, as we are faithful and obedient like Daniel, that you will give us everything we need to do that, Lord. So I pray that you would give us a holy boldness to stand firm on your word and stand firm on your truth and guide us in all wisdom and understanding as we do that. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this time together. Amen. So as we end our time this morning with one last worship song, I want you guys to just take this moment to get before the Lord. You know, I did a lot of talking this morning, and now I want you to do some talking and some praying. And I'd like to invite you during this last song to ask the question, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to take away from today? What is it that you want me to apply to my life that I learned this morning? How do you want me to seek or use your wisdom in whatever situation I'm facing? But those are, the, those are the questions I want you to think about as we go and as we turn our hearts to worshiping the Lord um, in this last song. And I invite you in this last song to pray as you feel led. Whether you want to stand, sit, kneel, whatever it is, you are encouraged and invited to worship as you feel led during this final song. I don't want You're more than every dream come true. All of the things I thought I wanted don't come close to knowing you. Now that I'm yours and you are mine, your love is a secret. 
go from this place this morning, I pray that the God of all wisdom, knowledge, and understanding goes with you and that you use his wisdom and rely on his wisdom to take you through each and every day of this week. And you may go in peace and enjoy the beautiful sun.